We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our incredible guest in this episode is Lisa Chang. She's the global chief people officer for the Coca-Cola company, overseeing the company's talent and people strategies, culture, and diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. She's responsible for leading the company's global people strategy aligned to the company's purpose of refreshing the world and making a difference. Lisa and her team are focused on creating an environment where employees can thrive and equips the organization to win. Lisa and her husband have three children, a daughter and two sons. Her family also has a fur baby named Cooper. This episode was recorded in March 2021. We shared part of the interview during our AAPI Voices series, episodes 25 through 29. Lisa's is episode 25. The link will be in the show notes. Please check it out. This episode begins with Lisa sharing where she has witnessed generosity at work. Enjoy learning more from the one and only Lisa Chang. Here you are responsible for this huge organization as the global chief people officer for this iconic brand. What are some ways that you have witnessed generosity at work? Well, I think 2020 is a good place to start. What I saw happen, not only in our business, but a lot of businesses, but certainly um, with Coca-Cola, is the generosity that people gave in terms of giving people space and grace for what we were all juggling. Literally a year to the day that we sent our employees away and said, you know, go work remotely. We'll let you know when it's safe to come back. Most of us have not been back in the building for 365 days. But during that period of time, what we saw was people's recognition of, wow, this person is homeschooling or they have small children that they're juggling or newborns or elder care or pets or whatever, on top of trying to adjust to this new environment of working, on top of health concerns and scares because people that they knew were experiencing COVID. From our perspective as a company, what we saw was people started reaching out to each other The company started reaching out saying, how can we help? We have business resource groups like lots of companies do. And we have a parent resource group that all of a sudden became this place where it was flooded with, hey, what are you guys doing to keep these kids entertained while we're, you know, on these calls? And as you know, I love children, but my three are fairly grown. So I said to a couple of these folks, I said, you know what, how about at five o'clock today, you and your partner and spouse, go get a glass of wine. Let me have your kids, put them in front of the computer and I'll read them a couple stories, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Let's see what happens. It was so fun. I had the best time. The kids were like, you know, bouncing off the walls and I became very grateful that my kids were not of that age anymore. But, you know, just being able to kind of say, hey, let me help you out. But it was happening over and over again with people just finding ways to help each other. 
Yeah. I think again, what 2020 did, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste is Mm. we all started to recognize just how vulnerable we all are as humans. You know, on the outside, it looks like we have it all put together, but on the inside, we're all dealing with the same struggles. And it was definitely um, the great reset where we all sort of kind of the the, the level playing field. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that example. And that's so Lisa of you to do that. (laughs) And back to that reciprocity. I mean, how did that make you feel as the storyteller? Made you feel grateful that your children aren't toddlers, but for you, you recognize a need. I mean, that's one of the things I admire most about you, Lisa, is that you recognize how people are feeling and you don't just say, gosh, they must be zoom exhausted or, you know, write it off as like, oh yeah, everybody's tired from the pandemic. You take it a step further to be curious about, well, how are they feeling and what could I do? I mean, I can't change the fact that we're all working from home, but I could give them a break. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that collaboration too is something that I think, you know, you're a fan of and a supporter of. So tell me about how team, how you create a culture. One of the things you're responsible for is the culture how do you create a culture where people support each other and help each other? Well, I think it does go back to leveling the playing field and and making sure that people understand that we all have a story. And one of the things that, again, what we've learned during this time is it's gotten really personal. You know, through the Zoom calls and the video calls, we're, we're literally entering into people's homes and their lives. And we're seeing kind of the day-to-day things that we all have to deal with. And What we've tried to do, again, is ask people to think about what's happening in the other's lives. And the most important thing that we asked for was an opportunity. And I say space and grace because, you know, it it really is. We, We said to the take into a consideration what that person might be going through, you know, what they're trying to juggle and, and create that environment where you're putting yourself in somebody's shoes and have empathy for that, to be able to lead through that, to work through it, to collaborate. And that in and of itself, I think, created an environment where people, for the first time really in, in on an ongoing basis, you hear people sort of offering people outs, like, Hey, listen, if you can't do that call at four, because I know little Johnny has a soccer game, no problem. We'll have the call. We'll get back to you. I mean, if you think back a year ago into the office, many of us, and you were working mom too, how many times have we sat there tapping our feet going, oh God, I hope this meeting doesn't run late because I'm going to miss, you know, Ryan's game. If I don't get out of here in 10 minutes, I'm missing it, you know? And yes, but how many times then would you or I have stood up in the meeting and said, got to go folks. Bye. I mean, we wouldn't have done it because we weren't comfortable doing it. It wasn't accepted or received Mm -hmm. today. It's much more accepted because of what we've all been through and the recognition. Like if I was on a call with you and I said, Hey, Shannon, listen, I've got a hard stop at four 30 because I got to go pick up Parker. You'd be like, Hey, awesome. Great. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some of the things that we learned through this. And the, the creation of that was just asking people to put themselves in someone's shoes. And what happened through this pandemic is every single person experienced it. So it's not like the old days of only working moms and working parents could relate yes. to what we were going through. Every single person, whether you were single, you were married, you were black, you were white, you were Asian, you were young, you were old, we all experienced it. Yeah. Whether you were American or not, I mean, that's the other thing is it's global. So it's like such a, it's a unifier 
you know, the circumstance is nothing anybody would ever want, but the opportunity, like when you just said, like never waste a good crisis or a good pandemic, it's like, you know, how can we be better because of this? How can we be more empathic and more kind and generous, really? I mean, and I love the way you're talking about how team members would give each other grace and space and offer to support if they didn't have those same demands or this, even the same reaction. Some of us we're struggling more from mental challenges related to this, that it took a toll on how people felt and it increased some people's anxiety. So for you to say that we operated like a team and we really found a way to be stronger because of it, I mean, that's a win. Indeed. Yeah. So another thing that I recognize about you and really appreciate is how willing you are to recognize people for the reasons why you're grateful or if somebody does a great job, you're also willing to give people constructive feedback. So it's not just all the warm and fuzzies, but it's that, that because you're aware of what's going on, you then do something about it. You know, you say something about it. So talk to me about recognition and appreciation. Yeah, I think to the point that you just made, I, I, I think I have been the beneficiary of some great leaders and some great mentors um, as I was coming up through as a professional. And one of the things that stood out to me about those leaders that I admired the most were the people who took time to coach, to mentor me, to thank me, to give me hard feedback. I remember one of the most difficult conversations I ever had was with one of my bosses who, no surprises here, but you know, I was a A typical sort of overachiever, working mom, balancing, I can do it all, conquer the world. Um, I just had a new baby. I was coming back to work. I was on three boards. I, you know, I was doing it all and I was kicking butt and taking names, but I wasn't because there were some things that there were clearly some missteps in terms of the way things were being delivered in, in the way that my boss at the time felt I was capable of. And so she sat down with me and she said, look, you are great. You're great at this and you're great at that and you're great at this, but you can't be great at all those things at all the same time. And I remember being completely devastated. Just, I mean, you know, again, as super achievers were like, how in the world? And I I just thought, you know, this is it. I can't do it. I give up, whatever. But, you know, I really internalized that. She took time to talk me through it and said, look, this is not a derailer. This is just a wake up call. We've got a lot going on and you need to prioritize because guess what? You're human and humans cannot feasibly do all the things that you're trying to do at the same time. And it's okay for you to say, I can't do this today. I got to do that, whatever. So throughout my career, I've had people who've been willing to invest time and give me feedback, both constructive feedback as well as positive. One of the things that I do to this day, even though it is antiquated in this digital age, is I do handwritten notes. Um, And I personally have received some lovely notes over my time in my career, and I still have all of them. And so I just started that. I I modeled that behavior. I still do it today. I know it's kind of cheesy. I love stationery. So it's a great excuse for me to go buy stationery. But secondary to that is just the number of, and it's, it's simple. It's, you know, congratulations on your anniversary with the company or, you know what, great job on that presentation. I know it's the first time that you presented to the leader team, but I thought you did a great job. Mm. Or, you know, thanks for contributing to that. Uh, project. You know, I heard such great things about you, blah, blah, blah. Simple takes me no time at all. Yeah. Um, and the number of reach outs and calls 
And um, messages I've gotten from people who've received those messages who have just had the same reaction I had. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe she took time to handwrite me a note. Little Mm -hmm. me. Right. I remember thinking that with some of the notes I would get, oh my gosh, this is written by the CEO of the company. Oh my gosh. You know, and my most favorite story actually happened fairly recently since I've been at Coke is I did write a note to one of our leaders that had been with the company for over 30 years. And she was celebrating a pretty milestone anniversary, which is incredible. Yes. And so I just wrote her my note and I say, gosh, you know, congratulations. What amazing accomplishment to be with our company for 30 years and so much that you've contributed and learned and we're grateful and thankful. And I hope you'll take time to celebrate your accomplishments, blah, blah, blah. So she calls me and she says, in my 30 plus years at this company, I have never received a handwritten note from anyone, mm-hmm. much less, you know, the, the head of HR of someone who is new to the company. And that, Shannon, I tell you, again, I don't do it because I'm expecting them to call me or give me kudos for it. I do it because I felt great when I got those notes. Mm-hmm. And I do it because it's just something very small that can help people pause and reflect on, you know what, I'm appreciated. Mm-hmm. And we all sort of know that although they're in the Maslow's hierarchy, there are lots of things that we need. That self-actualization is really important. Yes. Yeah. And that sense of belonging is even lower down the list in terms of essential needs. And you're reminding these individuals, they belong, they're appreciated. We're glad you're here. We're so grateful you've invested 30 years of your career with us. It matters. You matter. What I love about this example, Lisa, is that it's the little things. You know, so very often when we think about being generous, we think about financial giving. When we're talking about generosity at work and generous leadership, we're talking about these things, these little, they seem little, but they're huge. Right. right? Somebody will stay loyal to an organization because of a leader like the one you had and like you who take a minute and, and thank someone sincerely. And I think that because we're in a time where there's so much demand on our time and there's so many creative ways for people and things to capture our time and attention, to take a minute and actually put a pen to a piece of beautiful stationery and write out your thoughts and put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. <laughs> you know, like you said, it seems so like uh, old fashioned, but it's, it's a lost art. Yeah. So it's a good reminder to those who have done that in the past and maybe want to revisit that habit, or maybe you haven't ever done something like that, but to give it a shot and see the kind of reaction you get. My my children, um, even as old as they are, I still make them do the handwritten thank you notes for birthday gifts or even to their grandparents. And, you know, I, the number of eye rolls I've received of like, really, I just saw them and I have to write them a note. And it's like, yes, you need to write them a note, but it's paying off. I will tell you, because I think, you know, now that my daughter's grown and out working on her own, she's developed, you know, sort of this habit of it's important to say thank you, especially Mm -hmm. to people who've helped you. When we come back, Lisa will define psychological safety and why it's important. Hello, I'm Marianne Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. 
Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a twofold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College support team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting sju.edu slash k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with more from Lisa Chang, Chief People Officer, the Coca-Cola Company. So some people have been generous with their time and their willingness to coach and mentor. I know that's something else that you deeply believe in. So just talk to us about the role of mentoring in your life. So critically important. And again, been the beneficiary of a lot of great mentors, both men and women. And I think the the thing that I learned the most out of that is really um, psychological safety. Just having a place where someone can listen to what I'm going through and can give me advice without judgment, really, because it's, you know, sometimes as a boss, you kind of say, oh, yeah, come to me. Let's talk about it. But we all know that, you know, there's this fear of showing weakness to your boss, right? So having a mentor, and for me, when I uh, was the mentee, as when I'm the mentor, it's always been sort of this space where we try to create a safe environment. Say, so let's talk about the struggles that you're having. And the, the greatest benefit is being able to, again, show that empathy of, yep, been there, done that. I remember when that happened to me. I remember the first time I heard that, or, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday about a, a job transition as well. And, you know, I shared my own story about job transitions and they were like, I had no idea that you went through that. And I said, you know, we all do and it's okay. It's just, you know, so I think that psychological safety is extremely important and it's creating an environment, not psychological safety is different than protecting somebody at all costs, right? So sometimes I think people feel like, oh, you know, that person is always going to have their back no matter what they do, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I think psychological safety is knowing, as you said, if someone wants to give critical feedback and it's difficult and hard, they have to know that the reason I'm giving that, that feedback is to help them. It's the intent is a positive intent. It's not a, I want to try to bring you down, right? Mm -hmm. So the difference between that. And so those environments, I think, are what are most important about a mentoring and mentee relationship. I've had a couple of situations recently, too, where as a mentor, I've just listened. I mean, I've just said, "Just, just talk to me and tell me, how are you feeling? What's going on? How did that make you feel? And um, I got a note from um, one of my folks the other day that just said, you know, here's here's the result. Here was the challenge that we were dealing with. She came back and she said, I just wanted to know, here's how it played out. And you know what? Literally after you and I got off the phone together and it was a tearful meeting. I mean, she was very stressed about a, a, a thing that had happened um, with one of her employees and was really very torn by it and be- beating herself up about it. And so we just talked through it. I listened, I gave her perspective. I said, look, you know, here's some things to think about, but don't be so hard on yourself. Think about it from this perspective. Mm-hmm. She said, and you know, this sounds self-serving, but she said, literally after I got off the phone with you, it was like the clouds parted and I knew exactly what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I picked up the phone and I called her and we had this conversation and it went great. And here's where we're mo- moving from here. Mm-hmm. And so again, not to say that I have that magic wand at all times, um, but I think just being able to have a safe environment where she could be vulnerable, she could talk about it, 
she could cry about it and she could come back and say, you know what? I have clarity of mind now. Yes. About what Just I be heard, do. be understood. Yeah. And for her to hear your reaction to it, to give her an alternative perspective or to, you know, look at it maybe from a different angle. When you talked about the psychological safety of just being heard and listening, you gave her that gift of listening. You weren't necessarily trying to solve her problem. You right. were really available and you yeah. dropped everything. It wasn't like you were multitasking her and you were listening to her while you were filling out a spreadsheet. You were engaged and yeah. attentive yeah. and curious. And- and she solved her own problem. I mean, that's the truth. Yes. I didn't solve it for her because I didn't actually know enough to solve it. Mm-hmm. But like by putting a couple of questions in there and just listening to her and letting her, as I said, get it out on the table and have a good cry about it and focus on where she thought she did something wrong versus where she could adjust the course. Mm-hmm. It became really clear to her what she needed to do next. And so again, I had nothing to do with the outcome of that. Um, but again, in that environment, it is just how often that that's space. the case. That is very often the case for us as leaders. And I hope something that people are really zeroing in on as you're saying this, because very often I think there's a myth that the leaders have to have the answer that people come to you with their problems and then you're going to solve them or you're going to tell them what to do. But in this example, what you really, what, what was most beneficial to her was for you to listen and give her that emotional safety of knowing that it's okay, but you didn't have to solve the problem. That's a really important thing for us to get out of your example. Is that something that you're intentional about as a leader and as really a culture carrier at Coca-Cola to create environments where failure is okay and that people are met with empathy or understanding when things go wrong? We definitely are on a journey for that. I mean, Coca-Cola has been through a pretty significant organizational transformation in the last half of the year, um, as well as culture transformation. We're, you know, 135 years old this year, been around for a minute, and we have a lot of deep-seated cultural attributes, not, you know, not bad attributes, but just different, you know, and I think moving from an environment where we um, were probably a bit more command and control, very traditional um, hierarchical company to one that is moving more to collaboration, working in a network, um, you know, bringing levels down and having people work together, regardless of if they sit in different regions or different functions or different levels. Um, So all of that takes time and transition. And one of the things that old traditional organizations have is this sort of fear of making a mistake, right? And I would say it's no surprise that, you know, Coca-Cola has been a conservative company when it comes to doing things and making, quote, mistakes. You know, we you probably have one of the largest things that was considered a mistake at the time, which was the launch of New Coke. And back then, it was seen as a huge failure that we would tinker with a recipe like the one that we had. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking forward, uh, that's how innovation happens. You know, had we not tinkered with it, we wouldn't have gotten to Diet Coke or Coke Zero or Cherry Coke or whatever. So I think we are trying to get our organization to get quicker about understanding that failure isn't bad. Um, I've been working with a couple of other folks that talked about the different types of failure, right? So there's the failure that 
you just shouldn't do because you've made the mistake so many times. Mm. It's like at some point, if you keep running into the wall and you don't just adjust your course, then shame on you because you're not learning from it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the failure that you just didn't know. You didn't know that that was going to happen. Right. There's nothing you could have done to predict that that could have happened. And, and so, you know, that's a kind of failure that you really have to kind of step back and say, okay, what would I do differently? Mm-hmm. Kind of the broader one. And then there's the, the calculated risk failure, which is you weigh your options. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a probability that you could be successful, but you also know there's a probability you could fail. And you have to take the risk to say, you know, which is the greater of the two? Do we go for it? Do we not go for it? And so I think all failures not created equal. And as an organization, what we're trying to do is create a safe space for that. You know, if somebody keeps doing running into the wall after we've told them six times the wall's there, that's probably not going to sustain a long time. One of the other two, you know, we have to pick ourselves up and figure out what we do with that failure. You know, the whole adage, um, use your gravestones as your stepping stones. I mean, if you fall down, get back up and step on that stone and go to the next level, but you got to learn from it. So we have a ways to go for that, for sure. But I think that is one of the most successful attributes of entrepreneurial growth companies is learning from our failures and our mistakes and fail fast Mm -hmm. and move forward. Yeah. Thank you for that transparency and understanding about where you're at, because I think it is an opportunity to grow. It's, It's a subject matter to study. Not all mistakes are created equal. I like how you said that because it's true. And if we're not encouraging some level of risk, then we're never going to grow. And that's for the individuals who we are responsible to as leaders. It's it's for the products, it's for our customers. Like, How are we continually innovating and pushing it in a smart, strategic way, knowing that that could actually be a failure? But knowing, like you said, you're doing that analysis to say it's, it's worth the risk because there's this reward or because it's essential or because our customers are telling us we have to do this. So we're going to figure it out. Uh, so it's, it's helpful to look at mistakes in a more academic sense of it's not just like good or bad. It's like, it depends on the situation. ROG takeaway tip how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Three key points of self-reflection. Number one, thank you notes. Two, psychological safety and listening. And three, how we handle mistakes. Number one, gratitude and thank you notes. You know I'm a huge proponent of gratitude. I post every week on Thankful Thursday. I created a gratitude journal that really enriches my life. And like Lisa, I believe in handwriting thank you notes on paper, requiring a stamp to mail from the mailbox. (laughs) Why is a handwritten note so valuable? Because it takes time and thoughtfulness. In order to send this little treasure, you must first think about the person you're grateful for and then find something to write on, ranging from a napkin to beautiful stationery. Write the note, address it, put a stamp on it and mail it. Now it's not an exorbitant amount of time, but it's enough time to make it stand out and give the receiver a true sense of gratitude. If you haven't already been practicing this, try it. Just send one. It's a win, win, win. You feel good. They feel good. And everyone who's influenced by you and that other person feels good. Number two, psychological safety and listening. Lisa explained that an essential ingredient to mentoring and leadership is giving people a safe space 
to express their thoughts and feelings. How regularly do you offer that type of judgment-free space to others? Who may need it? Is there someone on your team who could benefit from your listening? You don't need to solve their problem. Often that's not what they need or want anyway. Most of us just want to be heard, understood. We learn more about how we feel and what we need when we have the chance to share. So give someone the gift of your attention this week. Create a safe space for them to be and feel exactly as they are. And number three, mistakes. One of the topics I speak about with teams is the myth of mistakes. The myth is that mistakes are bad, blameworthy, and shameful. The truth, they're human, normal, expected, and a sign of trying. If we never make a mistake, then we would actually be admitting that we're never trying anything new. How do you interpret the mistakes of others? How do you handle the mistakes that you make? Is your immediate reaction to judge and blame? If you have that reaction, well, then you're like most of us. To be a truly generous leader, we need to put a space in between cause and effect, the situation and blame. Instead, there's a situation, the mistake, and we greet it with generosity by asking higher quality questions like, what do I wanna make this mean? How can I minimize the negative impact of this mistake? What can we learn from it? How can we inform others to help them avoid making a similar mistake? Who do I need to apologize to? When a mistake happens this week, which it will, respond as a generous leader, a curious leader, a human leader, one who knows what it feels like to fall short sometimes. This week, number one, write a handwritten thank you note. Two, provide a safe space for someone. And three, treat mistakes as opportunities to learn and develop trust through imperfection. Please hear the rest of Lisa's interview from the AAPI Voices, episode 25. Join us next week for Sienna Stewart, who speaks about dying kindly. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.